understanding uh, of the imparted position that is counted from God the Father. And remember, these all were uh, this series of things that were important to God's reckoning and understanding God's reckoning. So since it's been a couple weeks, I'm not going to start over, but I'm going to go back and just uh, hit the highlights here of what we looked at. Uh, so this doctrine of God's reckoning with the believer in Christ was at page 10. And that's where our note was from before, uh, where we started uh, the last time we were here. Uh, but we looked at how important it is to understand God's counsel and nature when it comes to understanding his reckoning. And part of that is his attributes, right? And that uh, God's at attribute of omniscience is important and knowing that he knows the end from the beginning. Uh, and there's nothing that he's learning or coming to know uh, as a result of any human behavior or anything like that. So uh, very important when we think of reckoning. We also looked at his nature of freedom and the fact that he is free completely as to his nature. And you remember back to uh, uh, our theology proper class, when you think about God's nature, it is the sum total of his essence and attributes, right? Those things combined make who he is and his nature of who he is. And so God is to his nature is free and there is nothing that dictates to God his activity. And so that's very important to understand in his reckoning as well. Then we looked at the concept of eternality and time and how this is important to God's reckoning and that God can see those things in the end, right? <laughs> For us, these things haven't occurred yet, but in God's mind, these things are already a fact. So it's not like he's saying, okay, I'm just going to act like it's a fact that you're uh, risen together in Christ and all of these things that have been counted for us in Christ. These are things that God sees as a reality right now, and we're able to align in those thoughts. So uh, very important there. And then the immutability of his divine counsel, those things that he said are going to take place are going to take place. So we can have comfort in the fact that uh, what he says is true about us in Christ is a, a fact um, as we think about it. So then the next section we came to is understanding the importance of election in Christ uh, and the council. And so we looked at a couple of points uh, with regard to that and the great run on sentence at the beginning of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter one. Uh, and we looked at the fact that we were elected or chosen uh, prior to even being in Christ. Right. And then placed into Christ. Uh, and as you think about it, before the foundation of the world or the establishment of the world at the top of page 11, uh, we saw all of this took place and God uh, sorted all of this out for us. And then in time, he called us to salvation and we believe the facts of the gospel and through spirit baptism, uh, we were placed by the Holy Spirit into Christ. Uh, we saw that the prior insurance, according to the decree for the believer, uh, to be placed in Christ is also seen over in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. And then at the top of page 12, we come to this part where we're at now, understanding the imparted position that is counted by the Father. So these identified works that we know Christ accomplished, and for us, as we're thinking about these things, these are uh, things that you can only visualize, right? These aren't things that we've experienced in life. We didn't 
uh, go to the cross and, and be put to death in our, in our reality, right, of, of how we're currently living. But we understand that these are things that God counts to be so, that we died on the behalf of our own sins. Our, his work is so intimately tied together with us that these things are counted for us. So we looked at the fact that we died together with him. We looked at the fact that we were buried together with him. And we looked at the fact that we were raised together with him. And finally, uh, we want to look at the fact that we were quickened and seated together with him in the heavenly places. And so all of those activities that are accounted for Christ that he accomplished, they're uh, thankfully accounted to us as well. So let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started in looking at this idea of being uh, raised uh, together with Christ and uh, quickened together with him and seated at the right hand. Uh, Father, we're grateful uh, for this day, grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, to be back together again. Um, uh, amazing, um, just looking at the travel of, of this world and, and being able to be in different time zones and, and to uh, uh, still be together wherever we are on this earth. And we're reminded of that uh, as we lose uh, any loved ones, believers, uh, those that are uh, in Christ, we understand the fact that uh, wherever we are, be it on this earth, uh, be it in heaven, that we are all joined together uh, at your right hand in our position in Christ. And so it really makes these things that we're learning and going through uh, super important to our uh, experience in this Christian life, to handle uh, grief, to handle uh, situations that arise, uh, just to know that, that we are secure in you uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, is an amazing thing. And so we pray that as we continue through this study, uh, that we would uh, have a not only just a, a great appreciation for the things that have been given to us, uh, in your son, Jesus Christ, but also to be able to live out those things that you desire for us to do, uh, that you might get the glory that you deserve. For us in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. And so <clears throat> going over to uh, Ephesians chapter two and verse six, we see the giving of faith and the making alive of the believer in Christ has allowed God to reckon the believer as raised together uh, with Christ. Ephesians chapter two. In verse six, and it's really uh, stated here pretty plainly that uh, whoever you are, whatever you were doing prior to salvation, I want you to know you've heard of the the show, uh, The Walking Dead, right? <laughs> These zombie shows. We were all zombies before we came to Christ, right? We were walking around as living dead men. Maybe outside physically we looked alive, but inside spiritually we were dead. And this is an amazing work that uh, God did on our behalf through Christ uh, with this. Pick it up in verse 1. He says there, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the authority of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children are really their uh, sons of disobedience, among whom also are among, among whom also we had our conversation in times past 
in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature born ones of wrath, even as others. You see, this is a dark, dark picture. <laughs> I always come here and just uh, uh, grow a, a deep admiration for what's been done on our behalf, because this is a very dark picture that's painted for you and I, right? Before we believe the facts of the gospel, we were just like the rest of the world. We were headed on a path of destruction that was going to lead us into God's wrath had he not intervened. But he did. In verse four, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up. Uh, together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. And so you see uh, two parts of that and what we're going to look at here tonight. And uh, point uh, E, uh, we'll come back to this idea of being seated. Uh, but he not only raised us up together, right? And we didn't see any of this happen or take place. But when it was accounted to you through spirit baptism, these things took place, right? And God's mind you died on behalf of your own sins. You were buried and you were raised together with Christ. And so his work is counted to you. And not only that, he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But I'm not going to emphasize that a lot because we're going to touch on that a little bit more here later. Uh, the idea of being seated at the right hand of God. Uh, but over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, we see the spiritual circ circumcision and burial allows God to count the believer to have been raised together with Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. I'm going to go back just a little bit because there's a lot of in Christ truth in this in this chapter. And we can start at verse three. Um, well, go back to verse one. <laughs> I never go back far enough. Uh, verse one, it says, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them that are at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together by love and unto all riches of a full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Uh, now, here's an interesting thing when you look at Paul, and uh, we, we kind of emphasize this here, that there are a lot of believers in different parts of the country that are, are praying for our church here, and believers in our church, and you've never seen them before, right? Uh, Miss J, for the longest time, had a good relationship with the Murrays. I don't think she had, she had even seen them, right? It was a while before you even, even met them. Uh, and that's what's so important about this class and, and the principles that are being taught in it, not anything that I'm teaching, but what's, what's in Scripture, is that it, it really doesn't matter if we've met each other because we've met each other, right? We are all together and joined together at the right hand. There are believers that you've never seen, never met, but we can have the same passion together. We can have the same identification with one another. Why? Because we're joined together at the right hand. And so uh, that's, again, a, a big part of the uh, importance of this class. And as you look at Paul here, he's talking to people and writing to people 
who he had never met to the face, right? He had never met them in the flesh. And yet he has a great care for them. <laughs> he has great information that he's imparting to them uh, because they are all in Christ. In verse three, he says, in whom there's that uh, positional statement or one of those pos positional statements are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. Where? In Christ. As you uh, have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have uh, been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, beware lest any uh, man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, why, why is he saying all of this stuff? Well, a lot of times when you look at Paul in his writings, you can extrapolate what's going on with these churches by what he's saying, right? And here you have him saying, here's what you have in Christ. You have everything you need. And then he's telling you, on the other hand, there are people that are telling them that they don't have everything they need. Right. There's there's something that's missing. There's information that you haven't been getting. Uh, you, this is nice over here, but you want a deeper knowledge. You need to go into these things over here if you really want to understand. Uh, and it's really uh, these Gnostics and we don't want to go too deeply into them, but uh, they have these different ideas of, of levels of knowledge and information that you can uh, attain to. And it's beyond scripture and outside of scripture. And he, he says in verse 10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of, of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, co-buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are co-risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him out from dead ones. And so all that is accounted to Christ is accounted to you. And he's telling these Colossian saints, you have everything you need. There's nothing more that you can attain to. There's no more knowledge that you can possess. It's all given to you in Christ. And so he has to really take the whole chapter to emphasize this um, before going to the next chapter and, and uh, going a little deeper into positional truth. So as we think about that, we can go there to Colossians chapter three and verse one, and we'll be back here again later. But you see, we were co-risen together and he's stating this as a fact, right? Uh, these are believers that he's writing to. And it's not really there an if. I know we see if in English, but in, in the Greek, this is an indicative verb. And this condition is really in the mind of the writer assumed to be reality, right? It's not an if, it's a since. Since you've been risen together with Christ, if you're a believer, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And so uh, this idea of here being risen together with Christ, co-risen together with him. It's a fact, right? You believe the facts of the gospel. The Holy Spirit baptized you and placed you into Christ. You've been co-risen together with him. There's no question about it. And because of this, you should be seeking those things which are above 
Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil it for later. We'll be back to that here in a bit. Uh, but the idea of also being not just raised together with him, uh, it would be an interesting thing if you were raised together, but you still weren't alive, right? There's some addition that can be done to that and that we were not just raised together with him. We were also made alive together with him. And we see this in a couple of places. Uh, go back with me to Ephesians chapter five. We, we saw it on the way through, but we didn't really highlight it. Well, before we go there. Don't don't make me make you guys turn twice. <laughs> we're, we're here in uh, uh, chapter uh, two in Colossians chapter two. And you see this idea of uh, being made alive there or quickened uh, together with Christ. So Colossians chapter two and verse 13. I didn't read far enough. He says in verse 13, and you being dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of uh, ordinances that were against us, uh, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so here he gets a, a big graphic about what took place there, right? And it's, again, physically uh, didn't take for place for the believer, but it did physically take place for Christ. And these things were counted for you and I with him. And so he says, quicken, this idea of, of quicken, again, not a word that we normally use in the English vernacular. You think of quick, you think of somebody moving fast, right? But here, the idea of being made alive, right? And we were made alive together with him. Uh, we see a similar thing in Ephesians chapter two and verse five, where God's reckoning allowed the believer to be made alive in Christ through his grace uh, and the giving of faith for the believer uh, to believe the facts of the gospel. And so it says there in Ephesians chapter two and verse five, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? And really, you could say by grace, you're in a state of having been saved. You were saved at a point in time with abiding results that you are saved. Uh, that's something that uh, you guys don't struggle with. But if you see people that are struggling with eternal security, look at the words like this. By grace, are you in a state of having been saved? You didn't do the saving yourself. God saved you at a point in time. And that work has abiding results that carry out all the way into the future. Right. So a good uh, again there, uh, eternal security verse. Um, we also see that the co-sharing of the believer uh, together with Christ, there are things uh, that you and I share together with him as a result of our position in Christ. And so we see over in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 that we are joint heirs together with him. As hardly seems fair <laughs> when you think about it for you and I, uh, that we have done nothing to earn or deserve any of the things we've been given. And yet we've been given all things that are uh, with Christ. And so our identity being hidden together with him has uh, so many great benefits that, that come along with it. But pick it up in verse uh, 12. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live, uh, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
but to, uh, you have received the spirit of adoption or some placement whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are born ones of God. And if born ones, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs together with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. So you see a couple things there that we share uh, together with Christ, right? This fact that we are joint heirs together with him. Now, wouldn't this be nice if you looked at some of these rich people in the world that uh, have these millions that they leave to their children and we could just go into that household and say, hey, I'm a part of this household. Now I'm a joint heir together with you and I'm going to get some of these millions for myself. Well, we, we don't care about money right now, <laughs> but this is, this is similar to what you see here, right? We've been born into a family that we weren't necessarily born into. We were reborn into this family or, or born again into this family. And so because of that, we get to be heirs together with Christ. And uh, just an amazing statement. And not only that, we will be glorified together with him. Right. And so uh, like Christ's body is glorified, ours, ours shall be as well uh, in the future. Uh, we also see that we are recipients of all spiritual blessings, and these are in the heavenly places. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And... And pick it up there in verse three, it says, blessed is the God, even father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places where in Christ Jesus. And so as you look to it and think about all the blessings that we have, uh, they're where in heaven, they're not pertaining to this earth. And so as you uh, contrast that with being a part of that millionaire family over there, we have much greater blessings in heaven than we do here on this earth, right? And where are those blessings found? They're found as a result of our position in Christ, right? We wouldn't have these blessings if it weren't for that position. Uh, and so he goes on to say uh, uh, some of the background uh, to us being placed into Christ there in that context. And then uh, we also see that we have the... Uh, um, privilege of reigning together with Christ. And so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul uses an ironic statement uh, for these Corinthian saints. Now remember, they're kind of acting up, right? And they're uh, thinking themselves to be something, and they're uh, going against the teaching of, and things that Paul has taught them and uh, being misled by false teachers. And in this instance, they are acting as ones that have already gotten all that they're supposed to get uh, as a result of being in Christ. And Paul says, hey, I wish that were a fact because we're all believers and that would mean we were all uh, sharing in these things together. And that uh, certainly was not the case yet. Uh, but pick it up in verse four. He says, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Uh, 
are we not? Oh, oh, First Corinthians. <laughs> I'm in Second Corinthians. Sorry. Good job. Good uh, stopping me. I was. I would have kept going there. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. Go back just a little bit. This is the right verse. <laughs> you guys were in the right place. I was not. Um, verse five, it says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then every man shall have a praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos, uh, for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up uh, for one against another. Uh, there is a temptation with knowledge, even within the church. I want to make you guys aware. I know you guys are fine, but uh, just be on the lookout, right? When you, when you have knowledge and you start to learn things, there's a temptation to let that knowledge replace actual activity, right? And it becomes... Oh, I know this and I know that about scripture. I, I know this many things over here. I'm good, right? And I've arrived. I'm where I need to be. Well, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> be careful. Pride cometh before the fall. And I've seen it happen many a times in churches, even in my young life, that people start to rely on knowledge more than actual conduct. And that knowledge replaces your Christian life. This is what was happening with these Corinthian saints, I think. Their knowledge became their badge of courage, right? And, and became their uh, badge of reward, not badge of, <laughs> badge, badge of courage. Uh, but they started to rely on this knowledge way more than they relied on actual uh, conduct and activity. And he says, in, uh, uh, continuing on there in verse 6, and these things, uh, verse 7, excuse me. Um, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if uh, thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Now he's going to go into these kind of sarcastic kind of statements here. Now you are full. Now you are rich and you have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Uh, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Uh, you are honorable, but we are dishonorable. You see this contrast he's using here? And it's really to rub, <laughs> as it were, rub their face in it, right? And they kind of needed this verbal whipping at this point in time because they're out of control. They're seeing themselves as up here. And the other believers are, are down here really suffering on behalf of Christ. And, and this is not enough for them. And so as you look at it, uh, what is he saying here? If everybody had reigned as kings, Christ would have returned, right? And we would be in the position we'll be in in the future. But they have not made it there. But they're acting like that this is where they are. So it's kind of an uh, interesting, obscure place to see the things that we're going to have in the future with Christ uh, but these Corinthian saints acting like this has already taken place. Uh, then over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, we see Paul point to the future reigning together with Christ as a reward for the suffering in the present. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, I'm going to take another opportunity if the pastor is listening there in Oregon to throw him under the bus because he <laughs> volunteered me to speak <laughs> when we went up to Oregon. And so as I spoke, I spoke on this uh, particular chapter here and speaking on men that are faithful, right? And how the faithfulness of men affect and impact other people. When you're faithful as a believer to those things that God has uh, given to you, it's not just for yourself. A lot of times it impacts other people. Uh, and certainly that was the case with the, the uh, uh, legacy that has been left up there in Oregon from Pastor Dave down to Dale and all of those guys. They've spent so many years in the word of God and discipline and studying and studying. And now they've passed that on to other men that are able to teach other men. And so that's an interesting thing to me there. But as you weave your th way through this uh, chapter and let's pick it up in in verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they might may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we also also shall live with him. If we suffer with him or if we suffer, we shall also reign together with him. And so this idea here is of co-reigning together, right? Not just uh, Christ reigning by himself. Not individuals that he selected out from the body. We're all going to reign together with him. And this is what's in our future. Uh, um, Co-reigning together with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And so we could uh, go on further than that. But again, we see the point there of uh, reward in the future for suffering in the present time. Now, um, we want to get to our next section and looking at uh, the position uh, in the persons of the Godhead. So we've kind of focused on in Christ as we've come through this because it is a course on in Christ. Uh, but we've also hit on the fact that we do have a position in the other two persons of the Godhead. So we want to kind of look at that in a little bit more detail here. Now, we talked about it before and early on in the course, but we need to go back there now uh, to kind of develop it in that we uh, are beneficiaries of the relationship that was already in place together with the Son and the Father, right? And so as he came down out from heaven and took on this body, he previously had a relationship with the Father that extends into eternity. But as he took on this body and came into this world, he had that same relationship together again with the Father, but he's experiencing it in a different way through a human body, right? And so uh, an amazing thing and laying the foundation for what you and I would be able to experience uh, here when we came to be saved. Go back with me to John chapter 15 and verse one. And before you go there. Flip back one more chapter to uh, chapter 14, and then we'll flip back over to John 15. Now, um, Thomas asked in verse 5, he says unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? 
Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Uh, Jesus said unto him, Have you been so long? Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? Uh, he hath he that hath seen me have seen the Father, and have how sayest thou? Then uh, show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. And so he goes on there, but you see the establishing already that he's experiencing this relationship of being in the Father, and as a result of being in the Father, the Father is indwelling him. Right. And so there's, uh, as we said at the start, two sides to end. Right. We are in the persons of the Godhead and those persons of the Godhead in turn, when we're dwelling in them and feeling at ease in them, they are feeling at ease in us. And it's a beautiful relationship uh, that can be seen now. Uh, Now, flip real real quick back over to uh, chapter 15 of John. And he says there. In verse one, I am the true vine. My father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, uh, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you accept you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Uh, for without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and it withereth, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will. And it shall be done uh, unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall shall, uh, you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in him, er, in, in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so you see this this relationship here of abiding, uh, settled down, feeling at home. Uh, it, it we've been illustrated before, but it bears illustration here again with the with reference to abiding. When you go out of town, when you go somewhere to travel, it really doesn't seem to matter where you go. You can even go to family's house or. You can go to the most comfortable person's house, but there's something about sleeping in your own bed that is a lot different than being somewhere else, right? You might be at home. You might, they say, make yourself feel at home. You do all the things that you do when you're at home, but it is not the same as when you're at home in your house, right? You are settled down. You are completely at ease. You feel good doing whatever it is that you need to do when you're in your home, right? 
And this is the way that he's expressing here that we need to feel in our position in Christ. As you're abiding as who you are in Christ, as you're living out who you are in Christ, as you're accounting those things that God has accounted unto you, you feel at ease, right? And the persons of the Godhead in turn feel at ease in you. And what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) All of those different parts that show forth the godliness that uh, you or I have inside of us can be seen when we're uh, at ease. And so this was predicted and and called out there um, by the Son in chapter 15. Now, going back to chapter 14 and verse 20, we see the believer is able to experience the relationship uh, to God the Father that was experienced by the Son during his earthly ministry and prophesied to be available to us. 1420. And let's pick it up in verse 16, actually, and we can continue on from where we kind of left off there. He says, and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive uh, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, uh, but you know him for he dwelleth with you. This is alongside of you, right? Um, and shall be in you. And so he's pointing to a time that's coming. And for those of you that have been here uh, on Sunday mornings, we saw this in the book of Acts, right? A, a great uh, event there in chapter two in the, uh, the, the, day, the day of Pentecost, uh, verse 18. And we see, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But you seeth me because I, li- I live. You, uh, you shall live also at that day. You shall know that I am in the, my father and ye in me and I in you. He that uh, have my commandments and keepeth them. Uh, he it is that loveth me and he uh, that loveth me shall be loved by my father. I will love him and will manifest, uh, manifest myself to him. Um, now I had a, I should have brought my, uh, I pulled up my, I'm going to have to try to do my drawing skills. Isn't that a perfect circle? (laughs) So think about it like this. This is us um, in Christ. And as we're in Christ, we're in the Holy Spirit. And as we're in the Holy Spirit, we are in the Father. I think I would go back and do those a couple different ways. And I'll I'll tell you why when I... Uh, maybe I'll print the, the thing off for you guys so you can see it. But the idea of being in Christ here, the Holy Spirit takes the work that Christ has accomplished, right? And, and as we are, we are abiding or feeling at ease in our position, we're in all three of them. And so you get the full effect of being in all of the persons of the Godhead. And how does that play out in time, right? How do you see that in your actions and activities, you see the parts of the fruit of the spirit. If you needed to know, am I being spiritual? Well, are those parts of the fruit of the spirit playing out in your life? 
When someone's in need of love, are you loving that brother or sister in Christ? And not just saying, I love you, brother, <laughs> but, but truly providing for that person what they need in the time that they need it. I've come to appreciate a lot more that specific thing with love, right? That is very easy to say, I love someone, and I, I don't even don't do that, right? I, I find it kind of, um, what, what do you say? To, to just say you love someone, it doesn't mean anything. It's an easy thing to say, right? It's a lot harder to live out and provide the things that people need in every instance that they need it, right? And sometimes the thing that the person needs is not the thing that they want. So it's a, it makes it a, a little harder sometimes. But when you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to provide those things uh, that is needed. And so think about this. As you are living out who you are in Christ, you are living in your position in each person of the Godhead. And this is, uh, I'll get that graphic printed out for you guys next week. Uh, looks a lot better than, <laughs> than this one. The computer makes better circles than I do, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> and so... What is the actual, actual, actualization of actually living out your position in the Father? What does that look like? Uh, well, we see it mentioned in several different places, uh, these ideas or, or these uh, verses that mention uh, being in the Father. Over in uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 11, we see the believer receives access to our position in the Father through who we are in Christ. And so kind of going back to this graphic here. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. And pick it up at verse 8. He says there, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on behalf of us. Much, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the son or by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, excuse me, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have uh, now received not really there the atonement, but the reconciliation uh, and so he goes on to, to uh, talk about uh, reckoning in that context and how uh, Adam's death was reckoned to us. And, and then we have uh, the imputed work of Christ that undoes that work. But uh, you see this being in God or the joy that is experienced in God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, we see the Pauline mysteries have previously been hid in God and are now made available to the believer through our position in Christ. Ephesians chapter nine, 3 and verse 9. And pick it up in verse uh, six, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me 
by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make known or make all men, excuse me, see, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world uh, have been hid in God, uh, or, or who created all things through uh, Christ Jesus, to the intent that now uh, unto principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made known, or might be known by the churches the manifold wisdom wisdom of God. And so, uh, again, we talked about these mysteries before and the importance of those, and we don't want to get off on uh, a tangent about them. But we see that uh, the mystery, this uh, particular mystery here, was hidden in God prior to uh, their revelation. And the concealing of these mysteries uh, was contingent upon the timing of God's plan and purpose for them to be revealed. And specifically, as you look at us, when we believe the facts of the gospel and are able to hear and understand what those mysteries are. Uh, and then the believer uh, being exposed to God through Christ allows us uh, uh, or allows for these the revelation of these mysteries or this specific mystery in this context. Now, over in uh, Colossians chapter three and verse three, we see the life of the believer is hid together with Christ where in God. And so remember, we said in Christ, when you're in Christ, you're in the Father, uh, and we see this uh, borne out here as well. But Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. And it says there, uh, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. Where? In God. And so as you're living out in your position in Christ, and you're tied together with that position, you are living out your position also in the Father. What is it going to say? In verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, uh, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. And so you see uh, this contrast, right, between the activity um, that we used to take place in prior to salvation and the potential that you have when you're living as who you are in Christ, right? And as you're living as who you are in Christ, you're living as who you are uh, in the Father. Um, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, we see the believer is provided boldness uh, as a result of being uh, in the Father, First Thessalonians chapter two and verse two. And I double check myself to make sure I didn't go to the wrong chapter here. <laughs> okay. I'm there. Oops. Um and pick it up in verse one. It says, For yourselves, brethren, know uh, our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shame, shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Uh, you see this word for boldness. Uh, we uh, spoke on this and when, when I went out to Washington uh, and this boldness that the believer can have. It's not 
braggadociousness, right? It's not, uh, you see some of these people that do things on this earth and they got to tell everybody about it, right? They get on, on the, whatever social media site and they're bragging about everything that they didn't know. It's not this. It's a, a boldness to be able to act and to speak, right? And to not worry about the, the consequences of it. Uh, dare I say, it's, it's an audaciousness, right? It's a, a willingness to be able to, to speak those things which are true. But where does it come from? It comes from being who you are in God the Father, right? And all of the things that are imparted to you through your position in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Um, and then over in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15, we see the ability uh, to abide in the Father uh, is stated here by John. Now, interestingly enough, right, he's the one that wrote about it first back in the Gospel of John and was pointing to, uh, through the words of, of the Lord, a future time in which we were going to be able to benefit from this position. And here it is taking place. First uh, John chapter 4. In verse 15. Um, and pick it up at verse 12. He says there, uh, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. And uh, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed uh, the love uh, that God hath uh, to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And so here you see this relationship, right, of, of, of abiding, right, just like that was uh, what was stated over in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, but verse 15 uh, shows the confession of deity uh, is made by uh, those who have God dwelling in them and they in God. And then in verse 16, you see the showing forth of God's love is from those that are abiding in their relationship to God the Father. Then lastly, uh, we want to summarize just this part of it uh, and show that uh, the believer's position in the Father uh, is given as a result of being placed into the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is experienced by the Holy Spirit uh, appropriating that work after the believer is rested in our position in Christ. So that's why you have this uh, funny-looking core. Maybe it looks like when you used to cut the earth in half in science class and it had those three parts to it, right? <laughs> Something like that. But uh, because we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is able to take the work that Christ has done and appropriate it, and we are at ease in our position in God the Father when these things take place. Uh, let's stop there, and we'll come back next hour and look at the Holy Spirit.